It got so quiet. Was it something I said? <laughs> okay, good morning, everyone. What an absolute beautiful day in Bayfield. And what a great day to be in the house of the Lord to hear his word. Now, I've got three disclaimers before I get into this. Number one, I am not Colby. Number two, I am not an elder of the church unless you're talking about age. My mustache is older than Colby. I don't mean his mustache. I mean older than Colby. This thing started October 6, 1967. So it's, it's old. The third thing is, since I am an elder... My power of memorizing is not what it used to be, so I apologize up front that I'm going to be using my notes quite frequently, so I apologize for that. Maybe, see, I had always under, was under the impression that up here, Colby's notes were, there's nothing up there, it's a blank screen, so, so I apologize, I'm going to have to use some notes, so. <laughs> all right, so first of all, I want you to know that uh, probably most of you know who I am, my name is Dennis Taylor, and my wife... I look at my notes. My wife, Melissa. <laughs> and we've lived in Bayfield uh, 14 years, full-time, and we started coming to FBC even before we had moved here full-time when we were vacationing out here from Memphis, Tennessee. So we've been out here coming to FBC for about 20 years. Um, so I'm not a church elder, but I am one of the house church leaders. And in that capacity, I obviously lead a house church. And there's about a half a dozen of us here that do that. I have another job at the church. I'm the co-leader, along with Bill Weimer, who is not here today, of the security team. So unfortunately, I'm not up here today to try to recruit people to come to our house church or to get on the security team. Now, unfortunately, I'm up here for a far more unnerving task. Our teaching elder, Colby, sent me a text several weeks ago, and I'm going to quote it to you, okay? It says, brother, is there any way I could twist your arm? <laughs> so I'm thinking, I get, a, I get a text from my pastor, and right away, he's threatening me with bodily harm. <laughs> but it gets worse. He goes on to say, to preach for me. As soon as I hear that preach for me, man, I put it in reverse. I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this gracefully or not? There's got to be some way to back out of this. Well, I forge ahead and I look at the rest of the text and he's got two dates. One is June the 26th. June 20th, no problem. No problem. I've got another commitment. I'm out. <laughs> Should be simple. The other date, though, he gives me is June the 12th, today. I think June the 12th, you know, there's something awful familiar about the June the 12th. That's like a cartoon, you know, where, where the you know, light bulb goes on. June the 12th. June the 12th, 2017, five years ago today, I said yes to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So I suppose that could have been a coincidence, but I'm thinking, no. <laughs> God has got something in store for me. Amen. But wait, it only gets better. Now, some of you may recall that I had a slight medical issue last summer. You know, so slight that they put me in an ambulance, took me to the 
airport, put me on a plane, flew me to Denver the next morning. Team of doctors are cracking my chest open. I have quadruple bypass surgery. The date of that, August the 12th. 12, excuse me, 10 months ago to this day. <laughs> so it should not be a coincidence. On the 12th, I've had a spiritual rebirth and a physical rebirth. And the other great thing is, today is a one-year anniversary of Joe and Dasha. <laughs> I mean, if I was a betting man, I'd go out and buy a lottery ticket as soon as I leave church today. I tell you, that is a trifecta. So with all that in mind, how could I have said anything else except yes to accepting Colby's invitation up and preach today? So let me pray for you, and then we'll get into this. So. Dear Heavenly Father, first I thank you for the safe return and homecoming of our brother in Christ, Joe, and his wife, Dasha. I give thanks to all here who have offered up countless prayers in support of this young couple. And once again, you have shown that through prayer, you are the great equalizer of all the evil in this world. I thank you for pushing us into uncomfortable places. It's only by being in them that we find what we're actually capable of and what our shortcomings are. I pray that your spirit will guide me today as I share your word with these fellow believers. We offer you praise, for with you all things are possible. Thank you for your word and for sending us your son to save us all. It's in his holy name, Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. So in my house church, what we usually do is I will break down the lesson into four bullet points. Today, I'm only going to touch on two. Though. So I broke parts as part one, which will be the first part. Part two will be the second part. See how it works? So the first part is about the fig tree. Can I see the tree? A couple weeks ago, Melissa and I were in, uh, let me see, yeah Melissa, yeah, Melissa and I were in California a couple weeks ago, and we were down in the Southern California, the LA area, and she wanted to take a uh, side trip up to where she had grown up, two small towns near Ventura, if any of you are familiar with California. One of them was called Fillmore, one of them was called Santa Paula. So I'd been working on my lesson up to that time, and wasn't really sure I was going down the right path. We got to Santa Paula, this is the first thing we saw. That is a fig tree. <laughs> it is huge. It's you know, taller than a two-story building, and I don't know how wide it is. You know, I don't know, 80 feet maybe, if not more. So I said, with that, I know I'm on the right path. I'm going to be talking about a fig tree at church. So what does it say in Mark 13? And you know the other thing, Mark 13. It should have been Mark 12, with everything 12. What about Mark 13? So it says, Mark 12 starts out, now learn the lesson from the fig tree. Somebody playing music? <laughs> I'm glad something is. So how many lessons can we learn from a fig tree? I say we can learn a multitude of lessons. We got any farmers in here? Okay, we've got a farmer. We've got a... Okay, any farmers here that know the Bible? Have any ideas how many times a fig tree is mentioned in the Bible? Almost 200 times. 
Or to put that in perspective, it's mentioned almost four times more often than hell is mentioned. When we see hell in the Bible, we pretty much perk up and take notice. Well, I'm thinking something that's in the Bible four times as many times as hell is something worth looking at. There's a million different lessons we can learn in the Bible. Very first time the fig tree appears in the Bible? Genesis, first book of the Bible. It's, there's only two other trees mentioned in the Bible before the fig tree makes its appearance. Tree of life, tree of knowledge, good and evil, then the fig tree. So I'm going to read some scriptures to support that, and unfortunately, I did not make any PowerPoints. After 40 years in the corporate business world, I have been inundated with PowerPoints, either giving or seeing them. And if you put them end to end, they'd reach, well, they'd reach pretty far. So I just was not going to go the PowerPoint route. I was going to go old school. So the first time we see these trees is in Genesis 2, 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the Garden of Eden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So was Adam just a fig man of Eve's imagination? And I only put that in there because of Dennis Reamers, the master of bad jokes in this church. <laughs> Amen, brother. So I don't know about you, but if I were to find myself unclothed, all of a sudden, out in the wilderness, a fig leaf is probably not what I'm going for first. You know, I'm thinking like grass skirt, uh, a branch off a pine tree, uprooting a shrub, a bush or something, something more suitable so I can hot foot my way over to the next, closest REI and get something to wear. So some of you may be perfectly comfortable, you know, going around in fig leaves, but it's just not my choice. So while we can disagree on that, I think we all can agree that unlike your Aunt Myrtle, God gives us very good gifts. And he gave Israel to the Jewish people. And it was not just any old hunk of land. For God says in Deuteronomy 8, 7, and 8, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. In that passage, there are seven types of food mentioned, all which would be abundant in the land of God that he gave his promised people to. There's so much richness, richness in what God created and placed in this land for his people, not just for their good taste and nutrition, but for their meaning too. Here's where the fig tree really comes up. The fig tree crops up again and again in scripture because God does nothing without purpose. So it's no wonder that this, this feature of God's creation appears repeatedly in the Bible in wonderful symbolic ways. First of all, we see the fig tree in the Garden of Eden, you know, providing cover for the shame of Adam and Eve. But throughout the scriptures, the fig tree became a symbol of prosperity, well-being, and security. To be seated under the plentiful shade of your own fig tree 
was the be-all of safety, peace, well-being in many biblical passages. Now, these plants don't grow overnight. That's why I was hoping I would have a farmer in here to help me out. But these plants don't grow overnight. It takes time to culture and nurture them. Their maturity indicates that the gardener has been continuously and steadfastly there, tending to their growth over the years. So I read that and I thought, could not the fig tree even be a metaphor for the people of God? So if you just use the exact same words and only substitute two words, substitute the word plant with the word believers and substitute the word gardener with Lord, what you get is these believers don't grow overnight and it takes time to culture and nurture them. Their maturity indicates that the Lord has been continuously and steadfastly there tending to their growth over the years. For the people of Israel, exile and wandering has been a byword for punishment. So the idea of sitting under one's own vine or fig tree is a sign of blessing and security. First Kings 4.25. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Fig tree is also symbolic of Israel itself. It often symbolizes the health of the nation, both spiritually and physically. Hosanna 9.10. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. Later still, the minor prophets get into this too. And we can see them warning the nation of how God would bring destruction and failure of crops as part of his judgment on them, specifically talking of fig trees. Joel 1, 6, 7. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty armor, excuse me, mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion and the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees, leaving their branches white. It's almost as if the fig tree was something of a barometer to the health of the nation, taken away as punishment and flourishing in times of restoration. Was it sometime last year that we were in Mark 11? <laughs> you know, when Jesus went full fearsome foursome on that fig tree, Colby would have said Ray Lewis, but for me it's fearsome foursome. You can look it up. In other words, Jesus actually destroyed this tree. In Mark 11, 12 through 14, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, from the very get-go, this tree was all wrong. Again, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know this, but I've read that fig trees, the fruit actually comes out before the leaf comes out. So if there is a leaf, you are sure there's going to be fruit. Well, Jesus shows up at this tree, there's leaves, but there is no fruit. So in my way of looking at that, this is another case of a wolf hiding in sheep's clothing. Jesus' curse on the tree was not for the lack of fruit, but for the tree having leaves and pretending to be something it was not. 
So the tree was presenting itself as something that was not. And how does Jesus look at us if we present ourselves as something that we're not? For example, if we appear to be sincere and humble and faithful to the word, but in reality we are not, are we not more like that, that particular fig tree that Jesus cursed? There's many other instances of the fig tree in the New Testament. For example, there's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. <laughs> I tried to get my grandson to come up and sing the song, but he wouldn't do it. Want to come up and sing the song, Jackson? <laughs> I guess not. And I told Colby I would not sing. So Zacchaeus, he's a man near and dear to my heart because Zacchaeus, like me, was vertically challenged. And for if you don't know what that means, it means short. So in Luke 19, 1 through 9, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax, tax killer and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So this would be like me being in church and sitting behind the wits and the posies and the Irelands. You know, I just could not be able to see anything. Well, Zacchaeus improvised very quickly. So what he does, he climbs up the tree. Now he can see Jesus. Well, lo and behold, Jesus looks up in the tree, and he's, he's Zacchaeus. He tells him, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree, because I'm standing at your house tonight. Well, the people around you know, are very upset because they think that Zacchaeus you know, is an evil man because he's a tax collector and he's rich. But he says to him, Zacchaeus looks up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. So the end result being that Zacchaeus, because he went out of his way a little bit to climb up the tree to see Jesus, he not only saw Jesus, but Jesus saw him, and Jesus forgave him and gave him new life. So to me, I wonder, what trees are we climbing up so we can better get a better view of Jesus and so he can better see us? Now, one of the 12 disciples also that's a story about a fig tree. It's Nathaniel. But Jesus found Nathaniel not up in a tree, but under a tree, sitting under a tree. And the interesting thing about Nathaniel is I think about the only thing that we remember about him now is that uh, when Philip came to him and he said that we have found the one that Moses spoke about, it's Jesus of Nazareth, to which, of course, Nathaniel declares, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Obviously, something extremely good came from there. And I have a connection with Nathaniel, too. Not that he was short, I really don't know. But that Jesus found me also under a tree. And lastly, with the fig tree, in Revelation 6.13, And the stars and the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. So from Genesis to Revelation, from the start of the Bible to the end of the Bible, fig trees are prominently featured in them. So much for the fruit today. Now I'm going to get into the meat and potatoes of today's lesson. So I'm going to start with reading the part of, in Mark 13, 35 through 37. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. 
What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now this warning was apparently not taken very, very seriously by Peter, James, and John. Because when Jesus warned them, he told them, don't let me find you sleeping. And what happens? He finds him sleeping. Not once, not twice, three times. He finds him sleeping. Now, as I said in my house church several times, Ed, you know, people think that Peter, James, and John are the inner circle of Jesus, you know, the ones he confides in mostly. And I have a little different take on this. If I said several times at house church, I'd rather think that he keeps them close by because they are the ones most likely to cause trouble, and he wants to keep an eye on them. Who was it that wants to bring fire out of heaven and destroy the Sumerians? Who was it that demands that Jesus sit them at the right and the left hand? Did I get that right? Right, right, right in the left hand of God when he establishes a kingdom. Even getting their mother in to tell him the same thing. Who was it that whips out the sword and cuts off the ear of the slave of the high priest? And who was it that, dis that disavows Jesus three times? It's all from this inner circle. So I'm pretty sure that he was not surprised whatsoever when he finds these three sleeping on the job. So what do we learn from these words? What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Well, I say it's not enough just to watch. Watching is fine if you're watching a movie. And I'm sure many of you, when you saw me coming up here tonight, thought we were going to see a movie. I've been showing movies in Bayfield for 10 years until this year. Anyway, um, so if you want to watch a movie, that's fine. You want to watch a football game, that's fine. You want to watch a parade go by, that's fine. But I'm saying in this instance that watching is not enough. I'm a former Boy, boy Scout. We've got, a former, we've got an Eagle Scout back here. The Scout's motto is, be prepared. Randy knew it too. So when you were a kid... If you wanted to get ice cream from the ice cream man and you just wanted to watch him, what would happen? He's by. You're never going to stop him. He's just going to go right by. So I'm saying you need to do some preparation. Number one, you probably need to get a dime. That's probably $3 now. <laughs> from your mom. Five? Okay. Okay, you get $5 from your mom. And uh, put on some shoes. Because if you live on a street like I did, you run out of the asphalt barefooted, you know, you're going to be real sorry before you ever get to the ice cream man. Then put on something more substantial than a fig leaf. Stand on the curb with your $5 in hand, shoes, clothes on, ice cream man comes by, you flag him down. You're going to be pretty successful in, in getting that. So I'm saying if you watch him, it's not going to happen. Anyone here ever been married? Or had a child get married, like a female child? Is it good enough to know what the date is and just show up? Anyone ever had a baby? Hey, we know, well, we know about when the date is going to be. I'll just show up and the baby will be there and anything. No, I think there's some preparation that needs to go into that. So I'm going to give you three personal examples now. The first one probably won't make sense since we're in Bayfield in 2022, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. So way back in the mid-60s when I was in high school, 
If you wanted to go on a date with a young lady, you actually had to ask her in person. You had to actually communicate. Or you could, you know, pass a note in class and maybe get sense of principal off. But we didn't have this, you know, social media, TikTok, zigzag, you know, bing bang, whatever they're all called these days. You know, that just wasn't around. She actually had to talk to this individual. If you were fortunate enough that she said yes, okay, well, there was some preparation made then. Especially if you had never met her parents before. So you had a routine to go through, and it kind of goes like this. You take a shower, okay? Comb your hair, put on some Brill Cream, or in Dave's case now, some Lucky Tiger Butch Wax, if you had a flat top. Uh, you find a paper clip or a staple, you clean your fingernails. You actually polish your shoes, press your pants, iron your shirt, show up on time. I mean, I know in Bayfield, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> then you knock on the door, and hopefully the date answers, not the father. Because I'm telling you if, you, if he answers the door and you were there with your hair looking like you combed it with an egg beater, you know, you're not washed, you're wrinkled, chances of getting in are pretty much nil. Here's a second example. Some of you will probably be able to better identify with that. Anybody here ever been in a bike race? I see one head nodding. That probably was sleeping. Okay. I know you're going to find this extremely hard to believe, but 25 years ago, I actually was a sponsored rider on a mountain bike team in Memphis, Tennessee, of all places, for nine years. And I rode all over the southeast racing. So when Melissa and I started coming here in 1999, specifically to mountain bike, and it became an annual event until we moved out here that every summer I'd come out with some of my teammates from Memphis. Well, when we rode at 259 feet above sea level, it was did little to prepare us for riding at 8,000 feet above sea level. But let's say I was going to go to a race. I'm going to get ready for a race. So what do I do? I, you know, I could look at the race schedule, show up, pay my fee, and then do the ride or just watch the race go by. Chance of me being successful in any way is nil. So my chances of actually finishing the race, being competitive, and being safe I had to do some preparation. So how does one prepare for a race, a mountain bike race? Number one, you might start off by owning a bicycle. That's number one. Okay, number two, you've got all this gear, you have you know, a helmet, glasses, gloves, jersey, shorts, socks, biking shoes, camelback. Some people wear heart monitors. I'm glad I didn't do that. Anyway, so you've got all this gear now. So what do we do now? How about actually getting on and riding that bike? And I don't mean ride around the block. I mean you're riding every day of the week, miles, mile after mile. And in the wintertime, when it gets dark, you get a helmet light, you get a handlebar light, and you ride again, mile after mile after mile. Now you can ride alone, but it's better if you have a teammate, somebody you can buddy up with, to ride with, you can challenge each other, push each other, and when you don't want to show up, you know you've got an obligation to them, so you'll show up. Now, if the race is going to be out of town, you go the day ahead, and you pre-ride the course. You find where the 
climbs are, where the descents are, if there's any switchbacks, if there's any rock gardens, water crossings, logs, sand, gravel, how much water, how many gel packs, how many protein bars you're gonna need to keep your energy level up during this race. Again, you could simply watch the race and you don't need to do anything. But I think you'd rather be in the moment and really be taking a part of it. So here's my third example, and it also involves riding a bike and being prepared. So five years ago, Melissa and I were in the process of closing a deal on a condo in Southern California to be used as a winter haven. We could kind of be snowbirds, and we've got you know, all of our kids live in Southern California, all the grandkids are in Southern California. Anyone here ever bought a house? It's a pretty stressless experience, right? Yeah, you know, piece of cake. Well, we had gone through numerous hoops with this broker we were dealing with, and he'd asked for document after document after document, uh, transferring funds via wire multiple times, and things was just not going smoothly. And when it goes smoothly, it's tough enough, but this is really a difficult transition. When we finally got to the point, we were very, very close to the end, and Melissa prayed that morning, and in that pray, prayer, we had agreed that if that broker asked for one more document, we're walking away from that deal. <laughs> Be surprised how quickly the Lord answers prayers. Within an hour, we had a phone call from the broker and he wanted some more documents. Without hesitation, we said, the deal is done. It's off, we're out. You hope, but you're gonna lose so much money in this. We don't care. We're out of this deal. And we have never regretted that decision to today. Well, after all the smoke cleared on that, I decided I'm gonna go for a ride on my bike. So by this time, I had not accepted Jesus, and my walk with Jesus was not really much of a walk. For 17 years, Melissa had been praying for me, and we had tried to read the Bible. I'd read it a day, eh, it's not my thing. Month would go by. Well, let's try to read it a couple days. You know, it's just my, not my cup of tea. It's just not, just not making sense to me. Imagine 17 years of this. Well, prior to this bike ride, I had started reading the Bible religiously, if you will, for a four-month period. We were in the Bible every day. And I said, we've been going to FBC for 20 years. So I've been around people, you know, who knew the Lord. So I get up, I'm going to get on my bike, and I'm thinking, yeah, this would be a good time to start praying. And praying while riding a, riding a bike may seem like a very strange thing. And I would have thought so too, until one time I heard Ronnie Posey standing at this very spot, and he was talking about praying when he was driving to work. And I thought, that's weird. You know, you can actually pray and do something else? <laughs> I never thought of multitasking, you know, when it came to God. But from that time on, I started praying when I was riding my bicycle, and I do so to this day. Well, this was going to be a pretty leisurely ride, so all I did was take my bike, take my water bottle, and go out. It was going to be at the junction of 501, down below Forest Lakes, and where the gravel pit is, if anyone knows where that is. It's County Road uh, 245. So 245, there's about a three-mile climb up, go down the other side, hook up to Florida Road, run, ride by Helen's store, and then come back up to the gravel pit. Yeah, it takes a little over an hour or so. Some people here, it may take a half hour. Anyway, so I was going up this three-mile climb, and I've done this ride many times. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But I decided about halfway up this climb, I'm going to stop 
take a rest, look around, and, and do some praying off the bike. So unbeknownst to me, I had been preparing for this moment for months and did not realize it. So I sat down by the side of the bike, and I thought later, I thought, if somebody drives by, they're going to probably think I had a bike accident. Here's a guy on the side of the road and his bike's over here. But I laid back down, put my hands behind my head, and laid down, and I was in complete shadows. Darkness of these trees was completely surrounding me, and I was praying for Jesus to show me an answer or show me a sign. Just show me a sign, just something, Lord, show me a sign. Because I've been praying and nothing's happening. I mean, I'm turning the key, but the engine is not starting. Well, I finished praying, and as I opened my eyes, I looked through this darkness, and there was a single light laser beam hitting me right between the eyes coming out of the shade. And that's all I needed. I said yes to Jesus at that particular moment. And my favorite passage in the Bible, can anybody guess what it is? John 1, 5. The light shines through the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So sometimes opportunities present themselves more than once. For example, this opportunity for me to accept Jesus, if it hadn't happened that day, it might have been the next day, the next, next week, but I know it would have happened. But what we're talking about in the scripture day is something's going to happen once, one time. When Jesus comes back in all his glory. So do you want to be prepared for that opportunity? Or do you want to see it just go by? Because you're watching it go by. So I say we need to be prepared. It's not enough just to watch. So I came up with a checklist. So what's to do to be prepared for that particular moment? Number one, you need to say yes to Jesus. If you don't have that, you don't... Anything else you do is not going to amount to anything. That's the only way to get your ticket stamped to say yes to Jesus. Number two, attend church. Be surrounded by fellow followers. Number three, do good works. This is the Lord told us in Matthew 1, 16 on the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, let your light, there's light again, let your light shine before others that they may see you in good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Number four, read the Bible. And lastly, pray. Something else you can do, like I said about getting a bike partner, get a pray partner. Melissa's had a pray partner for 25 years back in Memphis, Tennessee. And to this day, they still will pray. So again, it's easy to do it with yourself, but if you've got somebody else, you're encouraging one another, you're challenging one another, you can listen to one another's concerns and help one another out. So the five things, again, are say yes to Jesus. Go to church. Do good works. Read your Bible and pray. So like the five fingers on a hand, they all have a particular job to do, but when you put them together... That is power. So, so let us pray. Lord God, I pray to you that we may emulate Zacchaeus, not letting obstacles hinder us from continually seeking ways to know you better and making us stronger in our faith. 
Let nothing stand on our way to being closer to you and your word. Keep us ever vigil and alert and not to be found sleeping when you return in glory due to our lack of preparedness. I offer you so many thanks and for so many blessings you have given us. I also ask that you would protect those who protect us, our military, our law enforcement aid officers. I know they get little respect, but I pray that you would watch out for them and keep them out of harm's way. Offer these things up in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Savior. Amen. 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 Amen.